empowered by the Constitution, strengthened by the Bill of Rights, the American citizen was bestowed with the power and responsibility of civic engagement. Today, your voice is needed now more than ever, yet barriers stand in the way. How to start, where to begin, it can be confusing and overwhelming. We're here to help you take that leap, breaking down those barriers, providing you with the tools and knowledge to take on civics undaunted. Today we have on the show one of my close friends, Laura LaRose. Laura is a hematology-oncology nurse practitioner at St. John's Health Clinic in sunny Santa Monica, California, and is a forensic nurse at UCLA's Rape Treatment Center in Los Angeles. She's a person with an incredible heart, a courage to follow her passions, and a fearlessness to do what's right for her patients or the people she cares about, which is why she's here today. She's a person where civics isn't her everyday vocation, Yet at the same time, I've seen her for over a decade advocate for and educate people on her various causes. Laura is a testament to how it's possible to be engaged no matter how much time they have. Laura, my impressive friend, welcome to Civics Undaunted. Thank you for having me. So what I'd like to start is just give you a moment to kind of tell a little bit about yourself and what does civic engagement mean to you? So I am, I've been a nurse for 12 years now, and one of the biggest roles of a nurse is advocating for patients. So normally people think about advocating for patients at the bedside or the chair side in our everyday roles, but really there are so many ways to advocate for our patients. And one of those is making sure laws are passed that that help our patients. So that for me is a big piece of of my personal civic engagement. But I think really the way I would define civic engagement is just doing what you can do to make the community around you better. Hmm. I really enjoy that that kind of simplified thought of just like making your community better and i feel like people hear and think of civics and government and all that stuff and think it's this big daunting thing when it really can just be helping your neighbor yeah exactly over the years i know you've been involved in many different causes lights of hope the breast cancer walk celebrity photos heart health and stroke awareness can you tell me a little bit about what makes you champion certain causes so a lot of those are, are near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm an oncology nurse, so I lost my father to cancer, and now I take care of patients that have cancer on a daily basis. So that's kind of how I got involved with the American Cancer Society and then with the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, which is their advocacy arm. Um, so that's always something I've been really passionate about, about helping, um, people with cancer and trying to find a cure for cancer. A lot of times the causes that the American Heart Association and the the American Cancer Society, they kind of line up with one another. So I'll get, um, alerts to call my elected official, um, 
about a single cause from both groups. But um, my mother was a heart attack and, and stroke survivor. I am also a stroke survivor. So a lot of these causes that I've become very involved with, they come from a very personal place, which I think it, you know, kind of helps make it very easy to be something that I'm passionate about. Thank you for, for sharing that, Laura. And I think that's an important thing for people to know is it can just be something that's personal to you. It doesn't have to be anything grander or greater than that. And it makes it easier to do, right? Cause it's something you care about. Yeah. I mean, the, there's so many things <laughs> that need to be fixed in this world right now that it can get overwhelming with all the causes there are to be involved with. And I know when I want to do something like I want to give it 110%. And so you can very easily get spread very thin trying to be involved in too many causes. So it's, it's kind of easier to sort of pick the ones that are nearest and dearest to your heart, because then uh, it doesn't feel like work to um, put time and effort into those things when it's something that you, that you really care about. Absolutely. hundred percent. I Just from doing this, you know, you have to say no to certain things to be able to do things. And you want to do things that make you happier, give you energy. hundred percent with you. Mm-hmm. Can you describe with with doing this advocacy work for those various causes how does it feel to be doing the work in the moment versus the impact that it makes later on down the road i think that's one of the things that can be most challenging about you know lobbying government for things because a lot of things can happen really slowly. So the things that kind of keep you going in the moment are the connections you make with other volunteers. Like I've made so many wonderful th- friends through ACS CAN um, and the volunteer work I do there. And um, that kind of keeps you going on a, on a day-to-day basis because you don't, always see those wins all the time. It might be, you know, three lobby days in a row that you are asking for the same type of bill to be passed before it actually is. So you have to kind of enjoy the work in the meantime, and it can't always be about, you know, all those checks on the the win column, because sometimes those can take time. But then when you do see that payoff, it kind of sustains you for a while. Getting those those really big wins definitely sustains you for a while in this kind of work. For sure. And I think it's important to note the patience of waiting for those big wins. And sometimes it's a lot of small wins that amount to the big mm-hmm. win. I've noticed that personally in some of the work we've done here in Connecticut. We've, uh, that's always something that they kind of point out to us, the, the staff members with ACS CAN is, even though we don't necessarily see a law that we got passed, sometimes it's about blocking bad bills rather than getting good ones passed. Or, you know, little things like getting more co-sponsors onto a bill, um, 
you know, getting instead of getting a, a giant flavored tobacco bill passed on a national level, but we got five different municipalities to pass ordinances against flavored tobacco. So those, so it's, it's these little things that kind of add up that you, you really kind of have to, to focus on that small stuff. And, and the staff members at ACS can know that and are always sort of tallying all the, the small stuff for us and, and pointing it out to us all the time too. That's good. I'm glad they, they do that and, and give the feedback to the people on the ground doing the work. It's important. Um, when you first got started, what do you wish you'd known? I think one of the things that I wish I'd known was honestly kind of just how fun it would be. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I thought I would enjoy that stuff because like you said you know people think about civic engagement and government and politics and it's like you know you hear all the talking heads on tv all the time and it's always you don't you kind of can't blame people for just wanting to stick their head in the sand and not get involved Mm -hmm. but then when you you find a specific niche on something that you can really be passionate about like it's it's fun even when when you're not getting big wins on things so i wish i'd kind of known that and i think i you know wished i'd tried to get involved sooner because i i love this work that i'm doing um another thing i think i wish i would have known is in the beginning, knowing that just how long some of the things can take, because I think kind of after, you know, like going to my, my second like state lobby day, um, and sort of being like, wait, aren't these all the same bills we asked for last year? (laughs) Like, why are we just doing the same thing again? Um, and kind of realizing this is going to take some time, but it's worth it. That's, I guess, what I would, I would call, I would tell my, my early advocate self, (laughs) just be patient with the (laughs) waiting for those big wins, because they will come. Awesome. Love it. Always fun to talk to our younger selves. (laughs) Um, One thing you mentioned, and I think I'll get clarification here, both for myself and for the audience, is you mentioned earlier, you know, your third lobby day in a row those aren't actually necessarily like fourth fifth sixth it's actually like there's months in between those lobbying days or how, how does that exactly work yeah so when i when i talk about lobby days specifically with um acs can um and and to clarify you know acs can is the american cancer society cancer action network which is specifically their their advocacy arm to do um, advocacy work um, separate from the the work that the American Cancer Society does. So they organize a large national lobby day every year where um, everybody, there's a representative from almost every congressional district um, goes to Washington to lobby for um, you know, whatever the bills are that year that they're trying to get passed. 
but then each state also has a separate lobby day. So in like we go to Sacramento every year. So they tend to be annual. And those are just like big, you know, huge group of people. Um, we all kind of wear the same uniform descending on the Capitol, you know, whether it's the state Capitol or the national Capitol. And then lately with COVID, you know, it's all been virtual and sort of having lots of um, Zoom meetings with with our, our legislators. Have you found that the Zoom meetings and that format were more or less effective in, in trying to get time with your legislators? Um, it's a mixed bag. Because, like, for example, our latest lobby day that we had, it was days after they'd just done all these software updates at the Capitol. And so none of the the people could actually get on Zoom. They all had to connect via audio only. So we didn't see any faces and we're all wearing our blue polo shirts because that's what we wear. And then, but no one could see the blue polo shirts. So, you know, opening up every meeting with like, we're all really extremely good looking, but you just, you can't tell that. But so it was just like these technical difficulties and a lot of those meetings because of those technical difficulties got pushed and rescheduled for later. So there's hardships like that. But then at the same time, sometimes the the Zoom meetings can be a little less intimidating um, and a little more intimate. I find that generally we're meeting with like a staff partner, um, not necessarily the, the, the legislator themselves. But a lot of times in the Zoom meetings, I've, I've actually found we're able to have more engaging conversations and um, there's more back and forth than when it feels like we go to the Capitol and we're, you know, huddled in this this tiny little meeting and there's a group right after us waiting for their time. And, and it just feels like you're giving your little quick presentation and, and they're just like, OK, thank you. And, and you move on. So so it's a mixed bag. There have been there have been pros and cons. I mean, just like everything else with how the world has changed in the past two years. <laughs> That's for sure. I know the, the reason why I ask is I found that on the local level, the switch to zoom has allowed a lot more citizens to tune to like city council um, meetings and whatnot. So I wasn't sure if there was a, a, a weird tack on effect in terms of advocacy to, to elected officials. So. I think that's a huge point that that has been a positive because I think it has made it, everything more accessible to people um, because not everybody could travel to DC or travel to Sacramento before. And so now people can connect digitally. And so more people have gotten involved in those days that, that couldn't before. Um, and I've, I've also seen that in, in, you know, I've I've been able to try to at least attempt to testify at more city council meetings because I can just block my schedule and during the day and and just 
sit on on hold or on a Zoom meeting waiting for my turn versus having to take an entire day off of work to try to travel downtown to go in person to a city council meeting would have just been impossible. So I think the the digital age with that that COVID brought on definitely has made it more accessible. Yeah, I agree. And I hope I hope at least for the city council stuff that they continue to to air it every every week, bi week, whatever it is in, in everybody's hometowns. One of the things I think on the accessibility side, have you noticed, and this is more a curiosity of, of me question is have more people gotten involved who previously never showed any interest in doing the kind of advocacy work? It's, it's kind of hard for me to say, but so you briefly mentioned, you know, lights of hope, uh, you know, in the beginning of our call. And Lights of Hope is the major fundraiser that ACS CAN does every year. And so normally what that is involved is it happens at our National Lobby Day, so in D.C., and there's all these kind of luminaria set up around the reflecting pool, and it's a really moving thing, and, um, you know, people sort of solicit these donations, and people can... Um, you know, dedicate um, a bag to dedicate a light of hope and memory of or in support of someone. And then that's made out and then displayed on the reflecting pool. But now what they did with COVID, because we didn't have this lob, it was a virtual lobby day. So then people were able to set up um, smaller displays in their hometowns, in their yards, um, you know, whereas someone might n- never have been able to see their their lights of hope that was dedicated to a loved one, now they could go and see it locally mm-hmm. and be more involved. Um, and their, you, you know, the fundraising goals were were blown out of the water. So, if we're looking at it from that standpoint, and essentially everyone who kind of makes a donation to lights of hope it sort of you know gets you on the 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 acs can mailing list mm-hmm. essentially and you know if you, you spend x amount of dollars on that then you kind of become a member whether you really intended to or not and so in some ways i would say yes it has pulled more people in again from that accessibility it's kind of forced everything to be a little more local and and tight knit and everything and people are able to to see things in a way they couldn't so just from what i've seen with lights of hope i would say definitely more people involved now awesome well that's a good cause to be involved with i know i've donated and that probably explains you know i'm maybe i'm a member by unexpected default <laughs> um surprise <laughs> With, you know, you, you mentioned a bunch of the lobbying, and I was wondering if you could kind of tell us about what was your experience that first time lobbying an elected official, and perhaps just going through it to break down the barriers that people might have from doing that work themselves. So I think getting involved with 
uh, a group like ACS can, you know, they train us so well and prepare us for these meetings. Like here's not necessarily your script, but you know, we, we call it like hook, line and sinker. And so this is like, you know, you're going to tell them, you know, here's, here's what we're asking for. Um, and then you add in the personal story and then you wrap up with the ask, here's what we need from you. We want you to co-sponsor this bill. We want you to vote for it. We want you to get it out of committee, whatever the ask is. And so they just kind of train you so well that you feel really well prepared. That being said, the, I was so nervous for my first meetings. And, and honestly, like you still do a little time. It's almost a little like it's public speaking in a way, you, you know, unless it's something you do all the time, you always get a little bit nervous. But then I remember after my, my first lobby day and having those meetings with lawmakers and their staff, like, after the first one, I was like, oh, this is great. And I've got it. Like, what we do as nurses all the time is we have to, you know, the doctor comes into the room and they spew a bunch of medical jargon and, the, you know, then they leave and then the patient's like, what happens? And you have to translate it. And so a lot of it, I think of it the same way. Like, I'm able to talk about these these bills for these legislative staff and and sort of break them break it down from them from here's why this is important from a medical standpoint. So a lot of it is very similar to what I do as a nurse where I'm taking this medical jargon and then making it understandable and accessible to people that that, that aren't medical professionals. And so while that maybe doesn't apply to people who aren't nurses and advocating for, you know, healthcare bills, there's probably still something that you do in your own life that is, you know, you could kind of break it down that way where you realize you do actually have this skill set in you somewhere. And, um, so I think ways to make it more approachable for people who might be nervous about meeting with an elected of official or um, something like that is knowing you probably do have the skill set in there somewhere. And the other piece is, is get hooked up with an organization that will help train you for these kind of meetings and prepare you. And you can you know, lobby as part of a group. I freaking love that. And I love the, the breaking down of just, and if I'm miscontrolling what you're saying, please correct me, but you take the healthcare bill law and say, this is what it'll do for patients. Exactly. And I love, I love that, especially knowing personally when I've had a health issue and doctor told me weird things that I didn't understand. I just texted you and you told me what it really means. So uh, direct correlation to, to how important it is to be able to understand. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I think it comes down to all the, you know, they can read, we give them the paperwork that says what the bill is and, and, you know, 
what it's going to do and everything, but what they want to hear from us is why it's important. So it doesn't matter. You don't need a degree in political science and you don't need to understand the ins and outs of that. They want to hear from their constituents. Why is this bill important to you? How is this going to change your life? How is this going to make our community better? And so when people think about that, those things are very easy for people to speak on. No one's asking you to, to analyze this and be an expert on, on politics. They're saying, you know, this, this um, you know, bill that's going to increase cancer research funding. Well, why is that important? Well, we have advocates that are like, I'm, I'm alive today because of a clinical trial. You know, I was given six months to live. I enrolled in a clinical trial and that was 10 years ago and I'm still here because of it. So that's something that's easy to talk about. You know, a, a, a colorectal um, cancer screening bill that's going to eliminate a cost. Well, my grandmother didn't didn't get her her colonoscopy this year because her friend at the senior center got hit with a, a $5,000 bill after they had their colonoscopy because they had to have polyps removed. And if we make it so no one pays more than their original like $100 copay for a colonoscopy, despite if, you know, no polyps are removed or 50 polyps are removed, then that eliminates that barrier so that people are catching colon cancer before it's deadly. Mm -hmm. And so that simple breakdown, that's what they want to hear about. They can read the, all the, the fancy text of the bill <laughs> themselves, and it's their job to understand the legalese of all of that. It's your job to, to let them know why they need to be supporting it. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, ASCCAN also has it so not only are you advocating for that particular official's constituents, you are one of their constituents, correct? Yeah. So like at the lobby days, you know, we, you're always going in as a group, but there's almost always someone who is the constituent of the person. So they're usually the one leading that meeting, but you'll be part of a meeting with other people. So sometimes my sort of why or story is the real important thing. So I might be the main, you know, everybody kind of talks and it just sort of depends on whose story is most relevant to whatever we're asking for. But there, there's always, you're usually a, appealing to your, the, your government official where you are a constituent. I love that. And then generally too, like in the same area as well too. So it's like, I wouldn't necessarily be in a meeting for someone in San Francisco. It would be one of the, you know, other Southern California districts mm -hmm. kind of thing. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so with, with that and the, the fact that you advocate at both the state and federal level, is there a difference in advocating at the state house versus the U S Capitol? There's, there's not, there's not, you know, it all kind of, you're a little, you know, the, the, the more you break down the, the levels. So probably one of the only 
Like, I'm in Ted Lou's district. Have I ever met Ted Lou? Sadly, no. <laughs> it would be so exciting. But have I met my, um, you know, my state representative multiple times? So it gets more intimate, kind of the more you you drill it down. And I've, you know, I've, um, you know, at least brushed path with my state senator. But, you know, um, did I get to speak to Kamala Harris's staff when she was a senator? Yes. And I'm very glad that I got to speak to her staff because I don't, it would have been very hard to speak to her. <laughs> I would have been a little starstruck. So that's, that's kind of the difference and kind of the more local you get, the more you are likely to be speaking, I think, with some of the elected officials, but it, you know, it sort of depends on what um, district you're in and things like that. Um, but, but it's still, it, it's, it's the same format. It has kind of the same feel like, I mean, it's more grandiose going to DC and seeing people from all over the country kind of descend upon the Capitol. But, um, there's a lot of us in Sacramento and it, it still kind of feels the same way. So in a lot of ways, things are, things still feel the same, even at the, it's at the state level versus the national level. I think they're, they're pretty similar. They're both a lot of fun. That fun is good. And I'm glad that you broke that down and showed that, you know, the work is, is the same. Right. And the difference is, the humanization, right? And I know I, predominantly I, I work with state reps uh, in my work here in Connecticut. And they're just humans, right? And I think that mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier when you can just see them as people rather than elected officials, quote unquote. Yeah. I think the other thing that's probably the big difference between the state and national is stuff can move a little faster. I think the smaller you drill it down, um, like I've definitely seen more laws that we've advocated for get passed. And maybe that's because the governing body of California tends to be fairly like-minded. So it's maybe a little easier for legislation to get passed here, maybe than in a state that um, tends to be a little more divided. But um, and I don't know if it just speaks to the way I, I've, I've kind of been involved since 2016. So we've had a very, it's been very challenging to get legislation passed in general on a national level since then. So I don't know if I'm kind of only seeing that, but from what I've seen on a national level, it's like advocating for the same bills over and over again. And Maybe one year it gets passed in the house, um, you know, or one year it like the first year it gets out of committee and then the other year it passed in the house. <laughs> and then the next year it's like, OK, we're well, now we're trying to get it passed in the house and the Senate um, and, and getting it done before everything has to reset all over <laughs> again at the end of the, you know, the, the legislative year, which is like just can be really frustrating um so I've, I've seen more of those wins on um a state level than 
than a national one. I think the, the national stuff takes more time. Yeah, so I feel that tracks with, with my experience, specifically at the state level. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier about the, you know, the work in the moment versus the impact. And sometimes your goalposts will, will change. I know here in Connecticut, and I wasn't a big part of this movement. I got caught in at the very tail end, but we passed paid family leave here in Connecticut a year and a half ago. And what I learned in hindsight was that like, it was a five, six year process, just like what you described of first, it's just getting people talking about it. It doesn't even get to committee, but the point is to get it on people's minds and then it gets to committee, but it comes out not how people want it. So they don't advocate for, and then it gets back to committee and then they get it right. And then it gets to the floor and then, Oh, it's a split Senate and, all this stuff, and just to keep mind of, you have to have patience, which you mentioned earlier, and I think you brought up a really good point in terms of, you know, your state, California is a certain way in terms of the elected body. Connecticut is also a very blue state, and then other states, it may be not as blue. It might be purple. It might be very red, but I think what I want to have the listeners know is no matter how the politics are, if it's a bill that matters to you, if it's something that matters to you, it's worth advocating for because you never know when you will find a surprise ally. And I've seen it firsthand from sitting in on state senator meetings of someone from an opposing party to a town he represented that was super blue and he was a Republican, but because he had a multi-town district, he listened and got a bill regarding prosthetics passed and through because the people were advocating for it. And so if it's a cause that matters to you, they can cross party lines all the time. You never know. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to mention, mention that. And, and honestly, like the elected officials are motivated by the people who show up and are engaged. Like, the squeaky wheel gets the grease and Mm -hmm. you know, we can talk about like money and politics and like a lot of times people think of lobbying and it's like synonymous with this, this dirty word. Like we think about, you know, big oil and big pharma and things like that, dumping all this money into politics. And I don't think there's anybody that's like super excited about that, but then you have these, you know, nonprofits and these small like advocacy groups who are also doing the same lobbying. And those are the people the elected officials want to hear with. They're always excited to have the American Cancer Society come knocking on their door and to have a meeting with that. And they love hearing from people in their district. Like that's always the first like question, like, oh, are you a constituent? Great. You're someone that's voting potentially voting for me, then, then I am all ears. Like Mm -hmm. they want to hear from the people in their district. They don't want to hear from, you know, the, the, the career lobbyists, you know, cause there's, there's ACS can has their staff members that are there, you know, 
maybe they think that she's lovely and are happy to talk with her, but you know, at the end of the day, they want to hear from their constituents. So no matter what you're talking about, whether it's, you know, something you think that your elected official is necessarily going to be in line with, you know, if enough people from their district are telling them this is important to us, they're going to listen. Yep. And, and to hammer home that point with two, two tack-ons is one, the words of someone who's not paid to be there and, and career lobbyists have a place. They have an important role to play in the big writing of the legislation. Right. But yep. they listen way more to you who flew from LA to DC to talk with them, leaving your family, taking time off work. That's a sacrifice that, most, if not all politicians realize first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, going back to the granularity aspect is you can do that impact with someone who's a state led legislator, a state rep, senator, city council person. And that power of you being a constituent is so much more amplified because one phone call to a state rep's office who gets on average 30 phone calls a month. If he gets five phone calls on an issue, that's a significant jump in phone calls, right? Yep, and absolutely. It stands out. Yeah, and I think I think people don't realize that enough, which I think is why, you know, I've been talking a lot about like signing up with ACS CAN and doing a lot of work through them, but you know, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, sending an email about a certain mm -hmm. bill, making that phone call, because all those little things add up. Um, and, and those things are just as important as attending a big lobby day. You know, not everybody can fly all the way to D.C. Um, you know, there's a lot of us and they, they just pick one person from from each district and there's there's more than just one voter in each district <laughs> so it's it's all that other work that matters too that that is not maybe as intimidating of a, a time commitment that that matters just as much and i pe think people think that those things don't matter that they don't pick up the phone to make that phone call because they're like well what's one phone phone call what's one email mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's the power of all those things, just why it's important to get out and vote. People are like, oh, well, my one vote. Well, if everybody said that, then you'd <laughs> be really screwed. That's why it's so important. Go out and vote. Send that email about that bill that is important to you. Make that phone call. I've been making a lot of phone calls lately to the LA City Council trying to get, uh, we're trying to get a, a flavored uh, tobacco ordinance passed in the city of LA. And I've, I've made a lot of phone calls and, you know, it, I, I think it's made a difference because with enough people making those phone calls, like you said, they're like, oh, this is important to people that they're taking, you know, maybe it's just two minutes out of your day. Um, but people are doing that. And mm -hmm. if those are the people that are caring enough to take two minutes out of their day to, to call me about this, then those are the people that are also taking the time to actually fill out their ballot on election day. hundred percent. And I think it, 
I want to hammer home again. It's two minutes. It's three minutes of a phone. It doesn't take that long, especially with senators and federal representatives. They have a professional staff who know the drill, are very efficient on getting the information they need, what your issue is, jotting it down. And I haven't yet made a phone call where I haven't gotten some sort of response. Now, sometimes that response is six months later when I get the email or the letter from the office. But, you know, there is a response from the the senator's office. And then conversely on the state level, you know, not always, but at least in Connecticut, some people have staff, and sometimes it's the state rep, the state senator that are answering that voicemail line themselves. So you may not get them, but you leave a voicemail, they're hearing your voice. They're the ones mm-hmm. answering the call. Yeah. And that makes and, a difference. And a lot of times if people are intimidated about calling and talking to someone, a lot of times you are getting voicemail and you're just leaving it. And someone's listening to it. And the important part is that someone's listening to it, not that you had to have a conversation with someone about it. Mm-hmm. And if people are nervous about what to say, like a lot of the times I just have a script in front of me and I'm just reading it to the staff person and they're like, great, thank you. I'm going to mark down and, and let the, the council member know that this was important to you and, and thanks for calling. Mm-hmm. They're not being, you know, you're not going to get you know, this, this interrogated about it. Like, don't Mm-mm. be afraid that you don't know the ins and outs of every bill or something. Like all they care about is why are you passionate about passing this or not passing this? Like, that's what they care about. That's what you need to feel confident about. And, and that's the message that you need to bring to them, whether it's an email, whether it's a phone call. Mm-hmm. And pro tip, if you are uncomfortable talking to a physical person, call at 7.30 at night when the office is closed and you'll just leave a voicemail. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, Laura, here's my favorite part of your story as it relates to the Civics Institute. You know, part of my why I love you as a person is you're just an everyday person, citizen, doing this work. You know, you're not like me who's been knocking on doors for five years, you know, helping mayors get elected and working on on staff and everything. It's not political action isn't what you do. It's just something you're involved with because you care. So what inspired you to be that engaged citizen or maybe who inspired you? So it's kind of tough to pinpoint what has driven me, but it's, it's always been for different things. So like I've been involved in some political campaigns too in the past from gosh, probably starting with Obama's first campaign or maybe even, you know, some Senate races prior to that or something. But it's, for me, it's always been about one thing that's been passionate about and and you know it was easy to get passionate about Obama but you know it might have also been that I was a little terrified of Sarah Palin and John McCain's hamburger eating (laughs) so I was like I I better try to get this other guy elected um and that kind of what drove me to to knock on doors for that campaign 
when I think about how I got involved with ACS CAN, I just saw it was actually like I was taking a survey being it was an ad that they were testing for an ad that was going against a tobacco tax that was going to hmm. be um, in California that we were trying to add. And I saw that that ad and it was just like, gee, it seems to not make a lot of sense that a tobacco tax would would hurt school children. Let me look into this more. And I'm like, oh, look, big tobacco funded this ad. And I was just like, oh, no, no, no. And so I'm like, if they're the people that are no on this, let me find the people who are yes on Prop 68. And so then I just signed up to volunteer for that. And it turned out it was, you know, ACS can along with a number of other people like the Heart Association and things like that other the Lung Association. A lot of people can rally against big tobacco. It's a pretty easy thing to do. Um, True. But I was just like, it was sort of like my hatred of big tobacco <laughs> was what fueled me to then make 1,300 phone calls to voters in support of, of that proposition. Um, so it was like the one moment of the one bright moment of the 2016 election was that proposition getting passed that added, I think it was like a $2 tobacco tax or something to California. It was like the biggest tobacco tax that, that we had passed. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I loved that work. And, and, and so it was just like that one little thing that I could glom onto that I was passionate about that then sort of looped me into this bigger, um, organization but I, I i guess what's always driven me to get involved in anything is just hearing a thing that i'm passionate or excited about and being like i gotta do whatever i can to make this happen and just finding ways that i can do it within you know everything that's going on and my ability because sometimes you have the ability to drive up to New Hampshire from Connecticut and knock on doors for, you know, Barack Obama. And other times you are a grad student and you're like, well, I can give two hours once a week to make as many as phone calls as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. um, and other times you're like, I have a toddler and it's the middle of a pandemic, but I can sign a petition and I can send a couple emails. So you just do what you can do when you can do it. It's such, once again, a good point in there are so many different avenues for you to get involved that are beyond voting, but at the same time aren't super time intensive, right? And sometimes it's just tuning in because, you know, on the petition front, you may not hear that unless you're in a local town group or you are subscribed to the local paper, right? Mm -hmm. Which I know nobody talks about local papers anymore. They can make a real difference in terms of knowing what's going on in your town and your state for that matter. One of the things I know for me is I can very easily get pulled into the larger scale things of something that I'm passionate about. How do you get involved without 
getting pulled fully into that grind of larger scale activism for, you know, ACS can or some one of the other organizations you're involved with. I don't know that I do. I think I have your problem too, where it's like <laughs> I'm just all in or not at all a lot of the time. No, I think it's it's just about um coming, you know, there the year I was I was pregnant, I couldn't go to lobby day. Like, um I mean, part of me really wanted to. I was like, what a statement I'll make if I like walk in there like nine months pregnant. Like I flew all the way from California. So you would support this bill and I'm about to give birth in your office. Like what a statement that would make. But yeah, I was like, probably not the best choice. I don't think my husband's going to let me go. And, and, And so for whatever reason, there were there have been years where I could be more or less involved And I think it's a, you know, with anything in life, you just kind of, it's about balance. It's about boundary setting Um, and just finding ways that you can do what you can do without getting burnt out. You know, I think, especially in Washington, that's a big problem with people in that city that people get burnt out real fast on it because it can be so intense. Mm. So I think um having balance it's easier when it's something you love but at the same time when it is something you love that can also kind of burn you out more easily because then when you put all your energy into something like what if that tobacco tax like didn't pass like would i still have been quite as encouraged to get involved would have would have maybe in the short term, like maybe spurred me on more to be like, okay, well, we got to fight harder for this. It would have been totally defeating that you put so much emotional energy into something and then it doesn't happen. Like that was sort of when I, I got on board with ACS can, but that was like maybe like the fourth iteration of a tobacco tax that they were trying to pass that had failed, um, you know, in previous elections. So for those people, there are other people that it, that had been a long haul for. Um, so I think it's, it, you kind of have to do the same thing with anything in life is just, you know, know what you can and can't take on and, and set boundaries and do what you can when you can. And when just knowing that there are times that that you can do more and then there are going to be other times where you have to take a step back and not feel like you're letting a cause down because you you do occasionally have to step back yeah i i can relate to that on a personal note so i'm so glad you you brought it up there are just times when you can't do as much that doesn't mean you're doing bad you're just yeah. not doing as much it's still good work. Love it. So final question. I know that you're a busy person, successful career, raising a family. And as we've highlighted throughout this call, you are passionate about all the issues that you get involved with. Even though your time is limited, you find ways to be involved 
what is the one thing a listener who is equally busy can do to become a consistent advocate? I think my piece of advice is to try to get involved with a bigger advocacy organization so they can kind of take the lead. I don't think I would have known all the different ways to get involved and I wouldn't, you know, know how to do all the things I know how to do now without ACS CAN. And it's nice to have my ACS CAN staff partner like messaging me to be like, hey, there's a city council meeting coming up where we're going to talk about the tobacco bill. Can you, do you have time? Here's the date. Here's when public comment's going to happen. Can you do that? Or can you call these city council members by the end of the week? Like trying to do that on my own, that would be really impossible. But it's much easier when you have someone saying like, sending you an email being like, here's this thing I need from you. Can you do it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, and sometimes it's just them sending out a bulletin like, hey, everybody share this on social media or, um, you know, send this email that they've kind of already written for you to your elected official. You just need to hit send kind of thing. So sometimes it's these easy little steps that again make a big difference and these larger organizations kind of do a lot of the work for you and i mean i think acs can is probably you know one of the biggest like kind of nonprofit advocacy organization that's out there so they're kind of like the gold standard but even you know the heart association that's maybe not more involved they still have those like email blasts and things like that and a little bit with you know the the nurses association and the nurse practitioners association advocating for things like that. They still, even those smaller organizations that are maybe not as quite of a large, well-oiled machine as ACS can is, they still help guide you with like alerting you to like, here are these bills. We know that because you've signed up with our organization, that this is something that's probably on your radar and would interest you that we're going to let you know when to send certain messaging to the right people, like keeping you updated, like, hey, this bill is in committee now. Here's the committee members that we need you to talk to to get it out of committee. So it's like letting a larger organization do a lot of this legwork for you, I think makes all the difference and allows people that their full-time job is not being a lobbyist to do some small things that make a really big impact. Great, great answer. And I know there are also some large organizations that have state chapters. So whatever the issue is that you care about, go look up that issue, comma, Connecticut, California, Vermont, whatever your state is. Absolutely. And you'll probably find that large organization that can do a lot of stuff and you're plugged into the mailing list and you're off to the races. Exactly. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to you, me today. I love this conversation. This was absolutely informative and I think really highlighted how anybody can be involved on a slew of issues. So thank you for your time today. 
and I will definitely put uh, the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network ASC CAN that we've talked about a bunch in the show notes so people can learn more about that organization. Absolutely. That would be wonderful. And thank you so much for having me. And I, I, I definitely hope if nothing else, like someone's listening to this and is motivated that they should just get involved with, with something they love. And, and it, it's probably not going to be as much work as you think it's going to be. And you can probably make a big difference. It never is. It's a great way to end it. So thank you, Laura. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civics Undaunted podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, can you please head on over to podchaser.com and leave a rating or review? These ratings make a big difference and really help get our podcast noticed. So we much appreciate if you could go on over there. Civics Undaunted is a production of the Civics Institute, and it is produced and edited by Katie Kacharski please visit www.thecivicsinstitute.com to learn more. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.